Today on Government Matters, dozens of COVID-19 recommendations from the Defense Department IG office, what it's watching now and how the Pentagon is responding. A permanent switch to a fully remote workplace for hundreds of federal employees. The chief human capital officer at that agency explains what's next. And the number one story of the week, new COVID-19 rules coming for all federal workers. Two former OPM directors share how agency leaders should prepare. Government Matters starts right now. From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters. Thanks for watching the weekend edition of Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Marjorie Sensor. The Pentagon wants to move $4.3 billion to fund emergency COVID-19 requirements, Federal News Network reports. The 2021 compendium from the DOD Office of Inspector General has 65 recommendations on workforce safety and effective spending during the pandemic. Troy Meyer is Acting Deputy Inspector General for Audit at the Department of Defense Office of Inspector General. Thanks for joining me, Troy. What trends do you see in this year's compendium? Well, uh, since we issued our first compendium in 2017, we saw a steady increase in the number of open recommendations. We also saw a steady increase in the number of recommendations that were unresolved, meaning we didn't have an agreed upon action with the department and the number of aged recommendations, the number of recommendations that were over uh, five years uh, old. This year, uh, we saw some of those trends uh, go in a positive direction. Uh, last year, we reported uh, over 1,600 open recommendations. This year, the number is 1,450 open recommendations. So the department has been uh, making a concerted effort over the last year in particular to implement our, our recommendations. The number of unresolved recommendations uh, was uh, last year uh, was almost double what it is uh, now. And even though we're seeing uh, the number of aged recommendations over five years old uh, increase, they're increasing at a slower rate. So the department is taking positive action on our uh, open recommendations. What do you think is driving uh, this action? Why is, is um, DOD addressing more of these recommendations faster, generally speaking? Uh, since the issuances are of our first compendium, we have been working with the department very closely, uh, meeting with them on a regular basis uh, to reconcile the recommendations, uh, the number of open recommendations, and uh, discuss what uh, the department needs to do to implement those recommendations and what documentation they need to provide us uh, to uh, demonstrate that they've implemented the recommendations. But I think the department uh, does recognize that within those recommendations, there's uh, there are cost efficiencies and and savings uh, uh, for for the department, and those recommendations represent. Uh, areas where they can improve the efficiency and effectiveness of their programs and uh, save uh, do taxpayer dollars and ensure that there is an internal control environment that detects and deters fraud, waste, and abuse. So it, there is an incentive from, from their standpoint to implement uh, our recommendations in a timely manner. And obviously it's a very large number of recommendations, but some are, are higher priority than others. Um, do you see DOD trying to uh, tackle those first or you know, how, is, how do they sort of prioritize what should be done uh, first or more quickly? 
Well, we do help uh, the department uh, prioritize the recommendations. This year, we identified 20 high priority recommendations. Uh, over the last uh, year, we've seen uh, the department take action to actually close out what we've previously reported. So the department is is uh, continues to work on those high priority recommendations. For example, uh, last year we reported uh, that uh, in relation to the F-35 Joint Strike Fighter program, that the contractor wasn't delivering spare parts that complied with contractor requirements. Uh, we. Uh, to, uh, as a result of our work, the, uh, the, the contractor settled with the department uh, for over $70 million. Uh, and another uh, uh, highlight from uh, last year, uh, the department's uh, service law enforcement agencies are supposed to provide fingerprint cards and disposition reports for those that are convicted of, of crimes to the, to the FBI. Uh, we were able to determine over the last year that the department has improved that process and has made significant progress towards uh, implementing those recommendations. So we, we do think uh, over the last year the department has prioritized the, the right things. However, there there's still some work that needs to be done. There are some uh, recommendations that were high priority in previous years that continue uh, to remain open and the department uh, still needs to address. Troy, you mentioned the, the benefits that DOD and taxpayers can gain by uh, depending on acting on these recommendations. Um, certainly, it sounds like there's a there's a dollar a figure associated with some of these recommendations. Are there other benefits? Can you expand a little bit on what you see as um, kind of the gains that can be made when these recommendations are addressed? Well, it's it's not only the cost savings, the the recovery of of dollars that are are questions or uh, future funds uh, that uh, could be spent uh, better. It's it's improving internal controls that will detect and deter fraud, waste, and abuse. It's uh, identifying the uh, efficiencies and and effectiveness of programs. You know they're basically um, management improvement recommendations that will make their programs uh, more efficient and, and effective. Let's talk a little bit about uh, pandemic-related recommendations. Obviously, this has been an area of focus over the last year in particular. Um, how have these been addressed by the Pentagon? There, there is a sense of urgency in uh, pandemic uh, oversight. Uh, our recommendations uh, go to ensuring the health and safety of our service members as well as our civilian workforce and ensuring pandemic-related dollars are uh, spent as intended. Uh, the department has, uh, you know, understands that urgency and has been taking corrective action to implement our recommendations. With just about a minute to go, um, looking toward next year's compendium, what are you hoping to see? What will you be watching? Um, well, with over 1,400 uh, open recommendations, if you break those recommendations down by topic, the largest number is within the cyber area. Uh, so we, we will continue to watch the uh, recommendations related to cyber and uh, hope to see uh, more uh, timely implementation of, of those recommendations. Uh, with regards to financial management, uh, in addition to the 1,400 open recommendations, there's 3,500 notifications of findings recommendations that the department needs to make progress on to get a clean opinion on their financial statement. In addition, uh, 
you know, as the sage of the New York Yankees, Yogi Berra said, it's not over till it's over. So we're still in a pandemic. We're still going to continue to do uh, pandemic uh, oversight work, and we will uh, closely monitor uh, the department's implementation of those recommendations. Thanks for joining me, Trey. Well, thank you. Coming next, hundreds of employees at one federal agency going fully remote. Straight ahead on Government Matters, how it's going and the takeaways for other agencies. You're watching 7 News. The government publishing office will allow one-third of its workforce to work remotely full-time. The policy aims to boost productivity, recruitment, and retention at GPO, GovExec reports. Dan Milkey is Chief Human Capital Officer at the government publishing office. Thanks for joining me, Dan. How many employees are going to be affected by this policy change? Well, it's a third of our employees, and that's about 500, a little over 500 employees. And how have they reacted to, um, to this news? They're very enthusiastic. They're very excited about the opportunity. Uh, we had a telework policy prior to the pandemic, uh, but you know the pandemic taught us that there's a lot of things that we can do uh, via telework um, and actually made us a lot more comfortable with telework. So we've expanded several options and those options are what uh, everyone's really excited about. Let's talk a little bit about kind of the decision-making process. Um, it sounds like it was driven a lot by, by what you saw during this, this telework period during the pandemic. Was it also driven by feedback from employees? Were they telling you that, that this is something they want or need? Oh, yes, certainly. Um, our director, um, Hugh Halpern, did a uh, town hall meeting, virtual town hall meeting. And that was one of the big questions that kept coming up. You know, since telework has worked during the pandemic, are we going to keep doing that? And, um, you know, Director Halpern said time and time again, it's working, yes, we're going to keep doing it. Um, and so that top level leadership support in the agency of both uh, Director Halpern and our Deputy Director, uh, Patricia Collins has been uh, kind of the keystone that allowed us to do this. Let's talk about the other two thirds of the workforce. It sounds like they, um, the nature of their jobs means that they're just not able to work remotely. That's correct. Um, you know, we are the um, printer and publisher for the federal government. So a lot of our work has to be done in a building. So for example, book binders, press persons, um, even some of our proofreading uh, has to be done in a building. Uh, and then of course the distribution of those documents as well. Um, but there's a lot of things that we can do now and it continues to grow. A majority of our work is moving online so, you know, the, the uh, teammates that work in that part of publishing, uh, we're working hard to ensure that we have the systems in place to allow them to continue to telework. Sure. For the, for the one third that, that are affected by this, what do you think will be the benefits um, to the workforce, to the agency? Well, to the agency and the workforce. Um, so we've definitely heard uh, the quality of life uh, for our teammates has uh, improved with telework. Uh, you know, as an unfortunate thing, uh, the pandemic is a very unfortunate thing that kind of forced us into this. But um, because we were allowed to have these flexibilities in telework, you know, we saw that the, uh, our teammates could, you know, take care of their family obligations, their community obligations, as well as their work obligations. So it's that quality of life. Um, 
a majority of our folks that are allowed to telework um, that have positions that they can telework in live in the DC uh, Baltimore pay locality area. And of course, we all know that's uh, generally comes with a very uh, tough commute to and from the workplace. So we've heard a lot that, you know, not commuting uh, to and from the workplace has really, really improved the quality of life. We've saw, definitely saw um, an increase in employee engagement. Uh, you know, the, they're very responsive to our customers, uh, very responsive to getting the work done, focused on results. Have there been any concerns or challenges along the way, things that you had to address to, to make this work? Yes, yes. Um, and I would say if you really want to make telework um, a good option in any federal agency, you really have to address the concerns of the stakeholders. Um, so those are the, your stakeholders are the managers, the supervisors and the employees. So you have to really listen, uh, talk to them and listen to what they have to say and what their concerns are. Uh, you know, making supervisors and managers comfortable uh, using the telework option by coming back to the building was one of the major things that we really wanted to address uh, when developing the policy. So it did take us some time uh, to get our policy right. Uh, is it 100% right? No, we're gonna continue to refine it as we see things. Um, but one of the things I would say is don't get bogged down in the nuances of telework in every scenario that could possibly uh, that you could possibly come up um, because you just won't get there then. You, you'll, you'll end up kind of sticking with the telework policy you had before the pandemic. Yeah, it sounds like that's some advice for agencies who may be thinking about this. Are there other kind of takeaways you would you would um, share for you know, agency leaders who are thinking about kind of expanding their policies? Um, yes, if telework has worked during the pandemic, you know, figure out exactly what was working and, you know, keep it, keep it going. Uh, don't, don't, you know, if folks, it's gonna be very hard to explain to teammates that have done a really good job during the pandemic from a telework location that now they have to return back to the building. Um, and so you really have to consider that. Um, the other part is, I would say is, ensure you get the buy-in of the uh, supervisors and managers, uh, listen to what they have to say, and really try to craft the policy so they feel comfortable uh, giving this option to their teammates. Thanks so much for joining me, Dan. Thank you. Really appreciate you having us. Coming next, the top story of the week. New COVID-19 rules on the way for all federal employees. Straight ahead on Government Matters, what agency leaders can do for vaccinated and unvaccinated workers. You're watching 7 News. Now, the number one story of the week, the Biden administration will require all federal employees and on-site contractors to prove their vaccination status or submit to regular COVID-19 testing and a mask mandate. President Biden recommends the private sector follow suit. Janice Lachance is executive vice president at the American Geophysical Union. She's former director of the Office of Personnel Management. Jeff Pond is national co-chair of the Training and Development Optimization Council. He's also former director of the Office of Personnel Management. Janice, let's start with you. Thanks for joining me today. What do you expect the new policies to mean for the federal workforce? 
I think what it means for the workforce is that it's an opportunity for them to lead. I think they have a, a lot of influence in their communities. And I think if agency leaders start with the purpose, start with the why, this is in fact the best way we have to climb out of this pandemic. And federal employees have an opportunity to continue their service to the American people in this way, in a way that is um, careful, thoughtful, uh, his, has solid science behind it. And I'm very excited about uh, the opportunity that federal, the federal workforce will have to receive the vaccine and then also to be an example in their communities. Jeff, how do you think, um, if at all, it'll affect federal hiring uh, and retention? Well, I think, um, you know, the president is the CEO of the executive branch. And like most companies, private or public, uh, the head of the organization actually ensures the safety of their workers. And I think this is a move that they've been very supportive of uh, based upon the science um, and taking a look at, you know, Delta has uh, kind of thrown us for a loop. And I think um, having safeguards and making sure more people are vac vaccined and uh, making sure that we have a safe workplace will help us get the right workers at the right time. Janice, how, how ready do you think agency leaders are to um, manage these new requirements? Do you have uh, advice or recommendations for them? So I think, I, my advice is over communicate explain this to uh, federal employees in a way that answers all of the questions that they have that deals with any doubts that may be lingering about why we have to do this why this is important so i would say start with purpose why are we doing this why is it important to maintain a safe workplace to have a safe community secondly give them the facts the science is solid behind these vaccines i think agency heads have an opportunity to get that out and then finally how this is going to work i think that's very important and also to add in some of the possible negatives what kind of reaction might you have to the shot? What might happen to you? How's the agency going to cope with that if you have the side effects? And I think transparency and openness, collaborating with employee leaders and employee organizations will be a big help in making this happen in the most smooth way possible. Jeff, what would you say? Uh, any any advice you would give to agency leaders thinking about this now? Just the same, which is really make make sure that there's leadership and getting people the right uh, things in to ensure their safety. Right now, the vaccines the 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 best thing to uh, battle this uh, Delta variant. And you know, the people that aren't aren't uh, vaccinated and coming to work uh, have the highest risk of actually con contracting something uh, like COVID uh, Delta variant. So I, I think it's very important for the agencies and the agency heads uh, to lead and make sure that uh, they're following the CDC uh, guidance. Talk to your doctor. I mean, it comes down to that. Uh, you know, we have a lot of uh, talking heads here in Washington, D.C. that tries to politicize some of these things. 
if, if you have medical questions, talk to a doctor. W what are they saying? And we're trying to do that as, a, as an organization, as a federal workforce. And I think those are the things that are very important for us to base things on, on the science and making sure that the data is available for us. And as Janice has said, be transparent about these decisions, talk about them. This is a journey. This isn't gonna end just tomorrow. It's gonna continue for a little while. Right. Uh, Jeff, what do you think are the challenges here, the potential pitfalls? Um, I think um, we need to still get FDA approval for the, uh, for the uh, vaccine. Um, that's in, in its making, and usually that takes um, about a year or so. We have the emergency authority right now uh, that uh, people are taking right now, and we have about 150 million people that have already uh, been vaxxed vaccine. So, you know, there's a lot of numbers out there, but I think we still need to take it step by step. Um, this new uh, variant is uh, very different than the alpha variant that we had. And we need to make sure that uh, we protect our workers. We make sure that the, there's uh, things that are non-pharmaceutical related that we're still doing, the distance, the, the masks, and, and making sure that things are uh, wiped down and cleaned at, at your desks at home and asshole at work. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having us. Don't forget, if you missed an episode of Government Matters, it's at govmatters.tv. You can get a preview and a recap of each show when you sign up for our daily newsletters. You just enter your email in the red box on the website. I'm back in two minutes. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and next Sunday morning at 10.30 on 7 News to stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Marjorie Sensor. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Katherine Roloff and Drew Friedman. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrix Haddon. Our director of content is Alan Holmes. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.